Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of Community Conversations with NAXA, the National Association of Charter School Authorizers. Join us as we sit down with NAXA staff members and other experts in education to discuss how to better serve communities, families, and students. These conversations will help to answer questions like, what can be done to ensure families have access to high quality education for their children? How can school leaders allow educators the autonomy they need to best serve students? How should schools be held accountable for their performance? And when we say quality, what does that really mean? This week, we're sitting down with NAXA President and CEO, M. Kariga Rausch, PhD. Kariga has extensive charter school authorizing, education research, and policy, community engagement, and strategic advocacy experience. Before being appointed CEO at NAXA, Kariga led NAXA's research initiatives, was a former education and charter schools director with the Indianapolis Mayor's Office, the board chair of the Indiana Charter Schools Board, Indiana's statewide authorizer, the director of the Indianapolis affiliate of Stanford Children, and on the leadership team of Indiana University's Equity Project housed at the Center for Evaluation and Education Policy. Today's host is NAXA's Vice President of Communications, Courtney Hewley. Before joining NAXA, Courtney was the Chief Communications and Strategy Officer at Crossroads Charter Schools in Kansas City, Missouri. While there, she developed and executed effective communication strategies for staff, families, the community, and other stakeholders. The pair will dispel myths about charter school oversight and accountability. Let's listen. Hey, Kariga, how are you today? Doing well, Courtney. Good to always be in your presence, friend. Same here. I'm really excited for today's conversation because uh, it's something that I think you and I have spent quite a bit of time talking about and welcoming others under this conversation, I think will be exciting. So, um, you know, one of those things that we've spent a lot of time talking about is the fact that there's this myth that charter schools aren't being held accountable and that there's no oversight. Um, I'm just curious from your perspective, where do you think that idea, that myth comes from? Yeah, it's a really good question. And first, Courtney, I would say that the nearly thousand charter school authorizing offices across the country who spend every day ensuring high quality and accountable for student public interests, they disagree not with that notion that charters aren't accountable. <laughs> so would other policymakers in many states across the country that have created really strong policy frameworks for charter success. In fact, you know, I would argue that authorizing is probably among the most consequential innovations in public education now, over the last two decades, as it's created a new way of doing public education oversight. And when done well, it's an important part, when done well, Authorizing has figured out how to ensure schools have the autonomy necessary to respond to student and community aspirations, hold schools to exacting standards of accountability, and make sure that all students, and I do mean all students, have equal access and are treated fairly. It's, see, it's that unique approach that's really unleashed some really incredible and diverse talent in school leadership and teaching and volunteering on school board service and so much more that's improved the lives of millions of students and transformed many communities. Now, let me also, though, say, Courtney, um, that, uh, you know, it's important to be honest about your question, too. 
Um, and I would say kind of two things in response um, to the, the question around where does this come from? So one, there are like some idiosyncratic and sensationalized media accounts of bad actors in the charter space, right? That make it seem like charters aren't living up to their promises. And that's just not true. Are there bad actors? Absolutely. And they have no business educating kids and need to get out of charter schools and public education at all for that matter. But are these bad actors widespread? There's no evidence to support that claim. Now, it's also true that there are some authorizers and some state policy frameworks that are just doing a bad job um, and not creating the quality, innovative schools that communities are looking for. That's why efforts to strengthen authorizing through professional development, through different structures, through accountability policies, all things that you and I and NAXA has and continues to advocate for with all authorizers and policymakers for a long time matters so much. But in the more than 20 years, of working to strengthen authorizing um, at NAXA, the organization has yet to come across a set of outstanding schools with a crappy authorizer and a set of crappy schools with a great authorizer. They just don't exist. But here's, you know, I think the most important part of your question, Courtney, and that's despite the few folks that are not doing their job well, the vast majority are. And how authorizers and policymakers are holding charter schools accountable is largely working at scale. So just recently, the Center for Research and Educational Outcomes, most folks know them as Credo, right, came out with their third national report on charter school effectiveness. And the results were breathtaking. It's not hyperbole to say that charter schools are among the most effective public education school improvement project that we've ever seen the last couple of decades. And the results for lower income kids, black and brown students, students still learning English were incredibly strong. Now there's still substantial work to do with some parts of charter schooling, most notably the absolutely unacceptable results that we're getting for kids with disabilities. That's gotta change and change immediately. But overall, critics of charter schooling are gonna continue to have great difficulty saying that student learning hasn't dramatically increased and the kind of accountability that charter authorizers and policymakers are providing isn't working at scale. And let me say this last part very clearly and directly. Nobody can ever say that public education is unable to create high quality, equitable schools at scale, including for some of our most undervalued students, because charter schooling is clearly showing that false and old narrative must be put to rest forever. Yeah, you know, um, one of the things that you started off by saying that I found so fascinating, and I continue to find fascinating the time that I've been at NAXA, is this idea of authorizing being one of the most consequential innovations in public education, right? And I just don't think people think about that. Like, sometimes I think as authorizers, we um, or maybe thought about as the background folks, right? But think about the results that you talked about from Credo. When I think about, you know, all of the the schools that are excelling, you know, I think about the fact that they have really strong authorizers that are holding up that leg of accountability. Can you talk a little about, for you, like what that consequential innovation looks like? Like, I don't think people think of authorizing and innovating in the same sentence. And, and can you talk a little bit about that? I actually think, Courtney, at the end of the day, um, when we look back on the 
idea of charter schooling, we are going to see some really great innovations that have happened at the school level um, that um, are improving public education writ large. You know, we have some fantastic examples of charters that are doing different things with their time, with their talent, um, with their resources, how they're approaching education, new educational models and the like, um, that we do have strong examples um, that's making things better, you know, across public education. I would argue though, that as we look back, one of the most consequential innovations is probably gonna be how we do oversight. Um, and authorizing is a space that I think has been underestimated in terms of its ability to unleash incredible talent um, in the sector, um, in public education, to uh, make sure that talented school leaders have the right kind of autonomy to figure things out, uh, to respond to what kids are actually you know, coming to school with, their assets and their deficits and ways in which we can build on those. Um, getting out of their way, but making sure that there are high expectations and high accountability standards to which they can rise to meet um, parents and families and teachers, um, and making sure that all kids, and I do mean all kids, have equal access to the incredible benefits. Those And those three things tied together is what authorizing is about, that I think, um, you know, hopefully in another 20 years from now, we look back and we say, wow, one of the most powerful innovations in charter schooling was how we think about oversight and authorizing. Yeah, that's awesome. So in addition to like this myth and where it comes from, I feel like something else you and I have spent a lot of time talking about is just the work that we do every single day to help people understand that charter schools have greater autonomy, but it's in exchange for this accountability that comes with authorizing, the oversight that you talked about. But I want to partner that with something else you said about um, doing authorizing well, having really good authorizers. Can you talk a little bit about the work we've done here at NAXA and other things that you have seen to be true in your experience around what are those keys for authorizers to maintain that balance between autonomy and accountability? Yeah, this is when I get um, really excited about Courtney, um, because a few years ago, I mean, I'm a researcher, so right, um, good research and evidence, right, is going to, you know, make me, um, uh, you know, just get all a flutter. Uh, but so a few, a few years ago, <laughs> right, um, Naxi engaged in a pretty comprehensive research project, right, we call it the quality practice project that would really sought to understand what kind of authorizing policies and practices seem to differentiate authorizers with strong portfolios of schools from those with more mediocre perform, um, portfolios of schools. We had some pretty exacting criteria um, in terms of, you know, kind of who we studied, right? They had to have high inequitable student outcomes, no instances of fraud or waste or abuse, schools being fully open to all students and a bunch of other criteria. Um, now, our study wasn't designed to make causal inferences, but it did provide some important learnings and lessons that continue to be validated over the years. And so, of course, we'd encourage all the listeners, right, to go to Nax's website um, and look at the hundreds of authorizing practices that seem to differentiate authorizers with strong versus mediocre portfolios of schools as part of the Quality Practice Project, looking at things like how they do application reviews, to staff development, to renewal hearings, to expansion, replication, and a whole lot more. We boiled a lot of those things um, that we learned down to three broad conclusions about what exemplary authorizers do differently. One is leadership. So we learned that authorizers with really strong portfolios of schools differentiate themselves from mediocre schools because they led with a strong belief 
in the foundations of authorizing. They were dedicated to giving more students access to better schools through the creation of new opportunities and replication and expansion of high quality schools and the closure of schools that didn't meet high expectations. Second one was institutional commitment. So the best authorizers are highly visible, appropriately resourced, and in the case that they're part of a larger institution, they are supported and visible within that parent institution, like a school district or a university. They're not mm -hmm. buried in layers of bureaucracy or worse, not valued for the work that they do. And the third one was strong professional judgment. So one participant in the study said that kind of stuck with me. Authorizing isn't paint by the numbers, right? So just like other professions, it requires talented people with great tools and systems that use a high degree of professional judgment in decision-making. And they base those decisions on what's going to drive student outcomes, not just box checking or personal beliefs or politics. Now, maintaining that balance um, that we're talking about here, Courtney, of autonomy and accountability, that's not just something that needs to exist as like a goodwill between authorizers and schools. One thing that we at NAXA have found to be exceptionally important is making sure that the rights and responsibilities and expectations are clear in the performance contract and the performance framework. I can't emphasize enough how important it is that the autonomy a school is entitled to and the expectations that they're gonna be held accountable for uh, and to achieve is concretely memorialized in the performance contract and framework. See, it's those tools and how they're used are incredibly powerful ways of ensuring that everyone is singing from the same hymnal, so to speak and can refer back to when either party may go beyond the bounds of that contract. And memorializing that autonomy matters a lot, Courtney, right? So one of the reasons that charter schools were able to respond um, to student needs during the pandemic as quickly as they did was because they had the autonomy to act, right? Now, while nobody right at scale felt great during the pandemic, right? And I don't wanna paint a picture, right? That, um, you know, anybody did, you know, just really, really well during the pandemic. There may have been a couple of pockets here and there, but by and large, everybody suffered during the pandemic. But it was instructive to learn that charter schools had the autonomy, capacity, and permission to respond and adapt quickly. And we saw that in a comprehensive study of three big states um, on the pandemic that researchers from Stanford found that charters were able to pivot to remote learning in less than a week, which was far faster than other folks. Now, last part, right, of, of this uh, question that I was thinking about that I wanted to say something about, and that's, I can't emphasize how enough, how critical accountability part of this is for outcomes, especially right now, right? So we're seeing some districts and some states that are weakening or even abandoning accountability for student outcomes altogether. That's a big mistake, and it can't happen in our field. Authorizers have got to continue to demand strong and equitable student public interest outcomes and take steps to hold schools accountable for not doing so. The Credo 3 study, right, showed that closing crappy schools was one way our sector has gotten better. Now, is it true that we need a more rigorous way of measuring additional school-specific kinds of outcomes so we have a more comprehensive view of school performance? Yes, and NAXA, along with some key partners, are working on that. Is it also true that we need some additional ways of attending to schools that are underperforming? Absolutely. And Credo 3 made an interesting claim of stronger than expected performance in charter turnaround, right? That's worth exploring. But at the end of the day, 
measurable student and public interest outcomes matter perhaps now more than ever as we try to recover from the pandemic. And schools that don't keep their promises and advance student learning and wellness don't belong in public education. Can I, can I ask you to build on that just a little bit, just around, um, you know, we are in the middle of working on um, our strategic initiative that, that we call Excellence from Communities. And one of the things I know that we've talked a lot about is this idea that high expectations, accountability, student outcomes don't live separate from the aspirations that communities have for their kids, right? And that we have integrated that into the work that we're doing at Naxic. Could you just talk a little bit about like that concept as we think about accountability, as we think about, you know, as you said, some folks that are abandoning accountability for student outcomes, like why it's so critical that that community component has to undergird everything that we're talking about when we talk about student accountability and student outcomes or school accountability and student outcomes. I have yet to meet a parent that says, I don't want my kid to be able to be literate and do math at high levels. Um, I have yet to meet a parent that um, doesn't want their students to advance academically, socially, emotionally, and in many other ways that schools have a lot to do with. And that's a space, Courtney, where our field is making some strides but we got to get better at listening to and responding with communities. No more doing to or even for communities. We've got to do with communities, right? Because you see, um, even underserved and overlooked communities have exceptional assets, right, that need to be heard and built from. And nothing exemplifies that by building educational opportunities that communities aspire to have for their kids. Right. So it does take some rethinking um, on how our field, you know, does some things like how we assess for need and demand, how we develop systems to continually engage communities, making sure that we have high academic and other important expectations um, and hold schools accountable to meeting those and how we ensure that we're not privileging some voices, including the loudest voices in communities that often don't speak for families but rather how we listen to all voices, especially those of parents and students. So we've got to, some work to do in that place, but the idea that somehow what communities are aspiring for their communities is somehow um, uh, less rigorous or uh, doesn't meet high exacting standards um, of, that, uh, of accountability, it's false. Um, families want all the things for their kids. Shoot, Courtney, we're both parents, right? I'm a dad. I've got teenagers. Uh, I want all the great things, um, you know, right. for my kids. All the great things. And I do have expectations that, that the schools that we choose for our kids to go to not only enable them to be incredible citizens, incredible people, very advanced in um, their ability to read, write, do math, think critically, right? All the things um, associated with it. Um, my expectations of schools, I would imagine, aren't different than a lot of other families' expectations of schools. And someone, and I would argue in the, the charter context, authorizers have to make sure that those parent aspirations and community aspirations are upheld.
Yeah, that's great. And I, yeah, and I, you know, I echo that. You're right. I am a parent. Thank God I'm not teenagers yet, right? But, um, <laughs> but I am a parent, and those are exactly my expectations. And and talking about the work that NAXA does and our expectations and how we incorporate integrate communities, there's a third prong to this, you know, three-legged stool. We've talked about the autonomy that charter schools have and how that's balanced by accountability, but there's this other leg that is access. And that means access for all kids, right? Like if we want to get these really great outcomes for kids, you know, that meet the aspirations of communities, they got to be able to get in the door, right? There has to be access for everybody. So can you talk a little bit about in the work that we're doing here at NASA, like how that balance ensures high quality schools? Yeah, um, a space, especially right now where there's a lot of chatter, you know, in the world's right around what do we mean by equal access? Um, and so your question is really important and timely one, Courtney. So let's be clear from the start. Charter schools are free, public and open to all. And authorizers have a responsibility to uphold that guarantee for all families. In addition, they've got the duty to ensure equal access for all students and ensure all students are welcome and educated at any charter school of their choosing. See, one of the bedrock principles of this work, Courtney, is students and families choose their school, not the other way around. It doesn't, it, it can't work that way. Uh, if we are truly trying to enable parents and kids to have access to high quality options, they have to be the ones that choose the schools that is going to meet the unique aspirations and needs that every kid has. So it's really important that authorizers hold the line um, in that space. Um, they make sure that charter schools don't just in any way in all of their operations, from admissions to discipline to how students with disabilities are educated, to English language learners are educated, and so much more. The, this um, charter bargain, right, ensuring autonomy for accountability, has always been within the context of equitable and fair access for all students. In fact, that's why NAXA has long articulated three bedrock and enduring and durable principles for, for quality authorizing through our principles and standards that listeners can find on our website, right? It, it's not enough to just talk about autonomy in exchange for accountability. It's always been autonomy in exchange for accountability within the context of every student having equal access to a school that meets their aspirations and needs. Yeah, that's, that's right. And, and I have to be honest, like that's, that's what, one of the reasons I got into this work and um, because there are a lot of kids that don't have access to that today and making sure that they have access and that there's someone making sure that those schools are living up to those high standards um, is, is just very important to me. So, um, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it's, it, yeah. you're not the only one, uh, you know, the, um, uh, it's critically important and critically important, not just in charter schools, I would argue, right? So it's like one, you know, last thought that I had, you know, kind of in this space, Courtney, um, around the critical emphasis of, you know, uh, the three-legged stool, um, as we kind of refer to it, uh, you know, with accountability and access. And that's, it shouldn't just be a charter school thing. You know, um, 
a lot of people, as we talked about a little bit before, right, thought the innovations in charter schooling were going to be curricular, right? Um, you know, that folks can, you know, learn some things from charters that are trying some new, you know, ways of engagement. And, you know, all that is true. And there have been some great examples, um, you know, in, you know, kind of schools that have been a part of that. Um, but what if the most consequential innovation is the three-legged stool, right? Um, you know, exactly and how we can effectively emphasize the balance of autonomy, accountability, and access as exemplified by how great authorizers do their job. What if that's the secret sauce for how we can create better kinds of opportunities at scale for kids and families? So maybe, just maybe, Courtney, some of the most powerful lessons about how public charter schooling can influence other elements of public education is how authorizing can advance student and community interests. Um, we obviously think it does, and we look forward to working with as many people as we can to advance what I believe remains all of our common interests, and that students well prepared to lead in an increasingly complex world. That's it. We've solved all the world's problems, right? Like, <laughs> we figured it out. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thanks, Craig. I really appreciate you taking time to sit down and talk with me today and to share with others these ongoing conversations that we have here at NAXA um, and the work that we're doing. I really appreciate it. Really happy to do it. Um, always good to be with you um, and appreciate the opportunity to talk about stuff that we care a lot about and think will have a really transformative impact um, on kids, families, and communities. 